In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We've often heard that phrase of our Father, short phrase that is in Christ is passing by, but that he repeated elsewhere. He would say, God took the risk of our freedom. God took the risk of our freedom. What does exactly does that phrase mean and how can we reflect on the nature of freedom today uh, in our prayer? Well, certainly freedom is intimately related to some of the most vexed questions of faith, questions of that people have faced uh, over the centuries, like the problem of God's silence and his apparent indifference in front of evil. Why does he allow evil? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or this common idea we've heard, if there's an all-powerful and all-loving God, how do you explain that millions of innocent people can suffer or die or Hitler or, you know, the massacres of Rwanda or 9-11 and, and other things like that. And now, of course, the coronavirus, which has killed off so many people. Many can't understand this and can't see how this is compatible with a loving God. Where is, they say, where is God in all of this? And... The presence of evil in the world, of course, poses that deeper question. Why is God hidden? If, if he's so massively real, why do so many people not recognize him, not acknowledge him, or even care about his existence? Why do they go, go through their life just, just living it without even thinking about him? And, um, and, or even believers, those who do believe, often are, are conflicted with doubt, doubt about his existence. And, you know, you, you might say, well, why doesn't God just make his existence super clear and beyond a doubt? Why is he silent? There's been books, I'm sure, with that title, Why is God Silent? or Why is he hidden? And, of course, we know there's no satisfying answer to this, at least not theoretically. And probably there never will be a satisfying answer. No definitive faith textbook can ever be written that will soothe every doubt and answer every critical objection. And there are many written apologetics and faith books, right? But why not? Why can't there be one definitive response to this? Well, because essentially making peace with this mystery the mystery of God's hiddenness, let's say, or even the reality of evil in the world, is a question of our relationship in love and trust, and not simply a question of a right theory, a right answer. Like, as though this were really the question of getting the right mathematical formula. Faith, we know, like love, matures through relationship, not just through theory. Understanding God's hiddenness, God's way, is like a child coming to understand his or her parents. You have to relate long enough 
live in patience long enough and develop enough maturity so that at a certain point an understanding arises and you develop like an empathy and and a love it takes time and this is what Hugh of St. Victor this 12th century scholar said love is the eye right love is the eye loves make makes you see and when we are loving enough well then we begin to understand things begin to click and of course that loving can't take place without freedom and so that's why our father would say in Christ is passing by this is from from number 113 he said God wants us to cooperate with him in this task which he is carrying out in the world. He takes a risk with our freedom. I am deeply moved by Jesus born in Bethlehem, he says. A defenseless, powerless child, incapable of offering any resistance. God gives himself up to men. He comes close to us, down to our level. St. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. God, our Father says, respects and bows down to our freedom, our imperfect, or, or rather our imperfection and wretchedness. He agrees to have his divine treasures carried in vessels of clay. Let us make them known. God is not afraid of mixing his strength with our weakness, he says. This is from that homily there on God taking the risk of our freedom, the freedom of the children of God. So when God made us, he He gave us as much freedom, as much creativity, and as much spunk as possible. He didn't just like play it safe. He gave us much godliness, as he as much godliness as he could, without making us into gods ourselves. Like he put like a spark of God in us, but he, we're not God. In other words, in making us, God went so far as to give us a freedom that even if he won't, even he, even he, won't tamper with it. He's not. It's like a risky, that's why we say it's a risk. It's a risky business. Because, like, as a parent, God would rather risk than control and allow creativity outside of his influence than limit ingenuity. And in other words, he would tolerate the misuse of freedom or our bad use of freedom, like sin, rather than have to relate to perfectly well-programmed robots. Lord, you don't want robots. Robots always do things perfectly well. They do things, you know, they do things well. Lord, you did not create me to be an effective robot or a droid, like in, like in Star Wars or in The Mandalorian, you know, programmed, uh, programmed, to be a killing machine or programmed to be, at other times, a, ca- a caring machine. Right? There are droids that are very caring and very nice and, and you know, uh, like C- CP- C-3PO, 
and others that they're just they just all they do is just kill. But whatever they do, they're always effective. So God did not create us to be effective robots. But he could have done that, and he, he could have made us, and that everything we do is always perfectly done well. But instead, he took this risk, because he values so deeply that we actually obey him out of love, and that we live the moral law, not out of external compliance, but out of something that is deeply held within us, and that we do out of love. That's what he wants. He wants a, a love yeah, and that's 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 why we need free, that's why we have to, the freedom of the children of God, and uh, and He did not coerce us into into doing this. And that's why God is perceived as silent, because He allows human freedom and ingenuity to be precisely what they are meant to be. That is, non-coerced. He did not coerce us, even not coerced by God. And uh, he, he, he's not a micromanager. Uh, one author, Father Ronald Rolls-Heiser, he's in a oblate, he says, things could, if, things could only be simpler if God made us switch Swiss watches, carefully tuned to preset rhythms, with no mess, no sin, no evil, and the beauty of perfect crystal. But then there wouldn't be any love, freedom, creativity, or meaning. No, God built us on a razor's edge so full of godly fire that we are capable of both martyrdom and murder. <laughs> martyrdom and murder. Imagine that. So that God made us, you choose, you want to be a martyr or do you want to be a murderer? I hope you don't choose to be a murderer. <laughs> In some way, in some way, we could say that the Almighty has accepted submitting His own plans to our approval. He has a plan, but He wants us to approve it. That's why our Father said, God respects and bows down to our freedom, our imperfection, and our wretchedness, because He prefers our love freely given, our love that is freely given, than the slavery of puppets. And puppets is like a, a robot too, right? He prefers the, quote, apparent failure of his plans to putting conditions on our response. See, our father didn't use robots because there were no robots in those days, or not, not too much, but that's why he used the word, or the, the image of, of puppets. So it can happen that we live the plan of life, or... Or the discipline, disciplined life in a certain way, but that could end up just being on the externals, mere externals. So that's what we want to do now in our prayer and see if we are living this dream of our of our Father. He did not want us to understand that we have freedom just for its own sake. It is a freedom that should be used for the good. And of course, the greatest good is our sanctity. That's the greatest good. And for us, this sanctity is not through knowledge of things, not even knowledge of truths, 
because well we could end up knowing many many things you know we could know everything about the history of the world about history of Canada there was this famous uh, um, TV personality Pierre Burton when I was growing up and uh, you know he knew everything about Canada and I think the he was the I think he was the host of, of this program called Front Page Challenge and he was there with other journalists and people and they would answer all kinds of questions on you know on all kinds of things in history and uh, I don't know how he would react today to Wikipedia but uh, you know he was a guy who knew everything about everything but he was notoriously against God. God, he didn't believe in God, and he he sometimes made that known, right? And uh, and so, well, it's not enough just for us to know stuff. We have to know not just the right stuff. We have to know the stuff, but we we have to, uh, you know, that knowledge of us has to has to lead us to be ultimately, as our father would say, that freedom, that gift, makes us not just know stuff, but to be true contemplatives true lovers. One of the things, uh, the essential things that God confided to our Father was that open proclamation that we must be uh, contemplatives in the middle of the world. But this idea of being contemplatives in the middle of the world, well, that has to be discovered by each each and every one of us. Sometimes you'll see little blurbs on if there's a quote of our father somewhere in some publication somewhere it'll say and uh, St. Josemaria has founded Opus Dei uh, a pathway of sanctity in the middle of the world or something like that right like just a one line to explain what Opus Dei is it's a teaches ordinary people to be saints in the middle of the world or something like that right and and that yeah well that's a fact you could look that up presumably in uh, Wikipedia or some place like that, or just one of those one-liners. And it was the dream of our father to see contemplatives in the middle of the world. In the middle of the world, not on the fringes. But that's a task for us to do. It's not enough just to know that that's what Opus Dei is, or that's what we're here for. And uh, he, our father had this dream that, uh, that in our normal lives, that that we could see how attractive it is to have this loving God in our life that is freely ex- exercising our free freedom and and that people would see how beautiful this is. It was a dream of God to see us happy with Him in the middle of the world, not on the fringes, not on the fringes. Because, I mean, if you're only on the fringes, well, there's only a certain amount of people on the fringes, and those are good people, we... They do, but there's also people in the middle. Like, like there's people everywhere. Middle means the world and everything, right? Not just the fringes. All men ultimately have a deep desire to be happy, to feel satisfied, and this deep desire that we have, that we, but everybody has, the desire to be happy. Like everybody wants to be happy, whatever form that happiness takes. And this deep desire for happiness is like a honing device, or a homing, homing rather, homing device that God planted in our soul, like a GPS planted in our soul that will lead us back to Him. It will lead us back to Him. And of course, that device does not work if it is not constantly uh, emitting messages home and receiving them. And our homing device is the desire for Him. 
I heard a story of a guy who was in a gas station getting gas, and he saw uh, a Labrador retriever there, and uh, just walking around, and you know, and he said, well, "Who do you belong to?" And there was nobody else there, and you know, it was like out in the middle of nowhere somewhere. And then he looked at the do dog's tag, and the dog's tag says, um, "I like to roam around. Don't worry about me. I just like to make friends, or something like that." And uh, and it turns out that uh, that the, his owners just let him go. But they have a GPS, so they always know where he is. They always know where he's wandering around, and they can always go and get him. But he always comes home. He, you know, he always comes back to the home. Well, that's we're not like dogs, but but you know, we have to go back back to do back to God. <laughs> and well, recently in 2018, the father, uh, Monsieur Ocaris, wrote a longer letter about. Of course, that subject that is so dear to him, the subject of of human freedom and what freedom really is. It's a longer letter, January 9th, 2018, and in which he wants us to reflect more deeply on freedom. And we must understand it deeply so that so that others don't stay hardened to the faith or just kind of go through the motions in the faith. If we understand, or not, so I don't know if the word is understand, but if we go deeper into our understanding of freedom, it'll affect deeply how we live out our faith. And if we meditate on freedom, our personal freedom, we will also be better prepared to help other souls uh, attain what our Father liked to quote from St. Paul, the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. The, the glorious freedom or the glorious liberty of the, of the children of God. That's, that's a glorious thing to have that freedom of the children of God. But that means we have to somehow meditate. You know, I, I went some time ago to a museum in Buffalo uh, called, well, it was in a church called Our Lady of Victory. And this church in Buffalo or just like outside of Buffalo, uh, had a museum because the church had been attached to an orphanage of a certain Father Baker from the 1920s and 30s. And this Father Baker took care of this orphanage. And in the, in the museum, you could see photos, old photos, with all these kids that had been brought to this orphanage. And you saw the photos, all these beds were perfectly lined up and perfectly neat, and all these little kids were well-groomed, and, and there were nuns with habits. All Everybody seemed to be quite cheerful. And, you know, this was a very sort of praiseworthy um, museum in favor of this Father Baker, who did no doubt a very heroic task of helping all these poor orphan children who had lost their parents. Many of them had lost them to the... Uh, to the Spanish flu and stuff like that, right? But but you see them, all these children, these photos. I mean, I just have a vague recollection, but it seemed like they were all very happy and the nuns were happy. But did it all that really enter into their hearts? Maybe they posed well for the photos, but the key of freedom is, is that, is did the love of God really enter there? Did they embrace it freely? Or did they pose well for the photo, but then go and 
I don't know, go and steal at the store, you know, nearby or something, right? The, uh, like, well, that that would be unity of life, you know. But the unity of life comes as a result of our embracing uh, the, the real freedom of the of the children of God, and that's why in this letter from January 9th, two thousand eighteen, the Father warns us about false notions of freedom. That is just freedom for its own somehow apart from God. I just do what I want, but like apart from any moral law or, you know, living as I as I want to live. Because we were created free. But but this freedom has a has a risk. We know we were created free. Man sinned and as a result he became a slave to sin. But though he is a slave to sin, he's still fundamentally free. I mean, that, that we were created free from the beginning, but the freedom is kind of, uh, is broken. It's not completely shattered, but it's pretty broken. And, and so, while some, like Luther, would have said that our freedom is completely destroyed, you know, we, we are completely corrupt, the Father, and with Catholic tradition, says that, no, no, we, are, we still have freedom. It's just fragile. It's just, just not super, super, super you know, strong, it's fragile. So we have to put Christ at the center of our lives and do this. In order to do this, we have to simply uh, contemplate Him. That's the idea of being contemplatives. So if we are contemplatives, well, then we will be, <laughs> then we will be freer. Yeah, we will be freer. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote there that he quotes from, from a homily from 1956 from St. Maria. Uh, on freedom in Friends of God. So this is what our Father said. We will never, he said, we will never fully understand Jesus' freedom. It is immense, infinite, as is his love. But the priceless treasure of his generous holocaust should move us to ask, why, my Lord, have you granted me this privilege which I can use to follow in your footsteps, but also to offend you. Thus we come to appreciate that freedom is used properly when it is directed toward the good, and that it is misused when men are forgetful and turn away from the love of loves. Personal freedom, which I defend, and will always defend with all my strength, leads me to ask with deep conviction, though I am well aware of my own weakness, what do you want from me, Lord, so that I may freely do it? And then he finishes, he says, Christ himself gives us the answer. Veritas liberabit vos. The truth will set you free. That's from uh, our Lord in in uh, the Gospel of St. John. Veritas liberabit vos. The truth will set you free. He says, How great a truth is this, which opens the way to freedom and gives it meaning throughout our lives. And so, what is the greatest truth for us? Well, that we are sons and daughters of God, our divine filiation. And so, in this letter... The Father insists on the, the freedom of spirit. Freedom of spirit. 
He says that it's, it, it does not mean doing just anything. When we have freedom of spirit, it doesn't mean just, oh, I feel like doing this, I feel like doing that, I feel like going out, I feel like taking a nap. Uh, it doesn't mean like just doing anything. It, it is really tied to our deepest motivations. Like, why do I do something? Well, he says, out of love. I'm doing this not because I like it or just because I enjoy it. Many people say, you know, if you ask them, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that work? Why? Oh, because I like it. Because, well, that's a reason to do it, but is it the, the deepest, the best, true, best reason? So this is what the Father says in his letter. He says, in number five of the letter, he says, In this context, we can understand why encouraging the freedom of each person does not mean a lessening in demands. Does not mean a lessening in demands. The freer we are, the more we can love. And love is demanding. And quotes here from St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. It endures all things. In turn, growing in love means growing in freedom, being more free. And then he quotes St. Augustine, uh, excuse me, not St. Augustine, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote, Quanto aliquis plus abit de caritate, plus abit de libertate. The more intense our charity is, well, the freer we are. That's St. Thomas. Quanto aliquis plus abit caritate, plus abit libertate. More charity, more freedom, or more love, more freer, or the freer we are. And the Father says, we also act with freedom of spirit when we don't feel like doing something or find it especially difficult. If we do it out of love, that is, not because we like it, but because we want to. That's the famous expression, we want to. And then he quotes from um, our Father here, he says, we should all realize that we are God's children and strive to fulfill the will of our Father. We should do things as God wants them done because we want to, which is the most supernatural of reasons. So, do I do things out of the most supernatural of reasons? The most supernatural of reasons, well, is to do it freely, but the reason I do it freely is because I want to love. And in, in the Gospel, for example, our Lord uh, speaks about people who heap up many words, or what he calls empty words, as the Gentiles do when they pray. When you pray, he says, don't heap up empty words as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he accuses, of course, um, the Our Father. Mm-hmm. E- empty words, he says, you know, and they're 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 like done for appearance. They're, you know, they're just done by routine. They're done without really thinking. Ultimately, done without true love. Those words are pretty strong. Eh? When you pray, don't be like those who think that they will be heard in their many words. There are many stories about this, right? But but prayer isn't about beautiful and creative speeches. In fact, every prayer is creative, no matter what you say. Right? No matter what you say. Providing you say something. All you have to do is say something. 
and 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 to create means to produce something new, right? That didn't exist before. That's what create means. Only God can create. It's something new that didn't exist before. And none of your words existed before you said them. So then, what should I say when I pray? You could ask me. You know, you, can, you might ask that. Some people ask you. So what should I say? Well, I don't know what to say. Just say anything. Just say anything. It's okay. Just say anything. God loves your prayer so much that you say whatever you say, anything you say is good enough. It's cool. He doesn't say, "Oh, that was brilliant." What you said to me was like totally brilliant. I'm I'm amazed. No, no. He just loves it just because you said it freely. And uh, Saint Josephus said, "Prayer is not a question of what you you say or feel, but of love." And you love when you try hard to say something to the Lord, even though you might not actually say anything. You see, he says, you love when you try hard. That's it. You'll remember the story of uh, Johnny the Milkman there. Our father was very impressed by when he was hearing the confessions and he saw a man come into the church. His name was Johnny the Milkman, Juan El Lechero. And and he, he kept hearing him clanging in there with his buckets and stuff and uh, he was quite you know what, what is this guy coming in and uh, and he asked him what are, you, what are you doing when you come in with your buckets and you put your buckets down and he says well I just come in um, and I just tell the Lord Jesus uh, here I am I am Johnny the milkman that's it you know and uh, I am here and he didn't say anything brilliant you know or about metaphysics or or the truth of being he just said I'm here Juan El Lechero this touched uh, Saint Josemaria a lot, and it was like uh, an important uh, moment of him for him to discover the truth about freedom and prayer and love. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.